0: Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 32 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I had a very stimulating conversation with Sherilyn Kristen Clough, who is the founder of... The Little Red Survivor, which is an online support community for survivors of narcissistic and religious abuse. She is also the author of the brand new hot-off-the-press memoir called Chasing Eden. And we talked about a lot of different things. There are lots of little gems in this conversation. And so without any further ado, let's dig in. Sherilyn, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Natalie, I'm just so excited to be here. I've been listening to your podcast, read your book. I'm I'm so excited by the work you're doing.
0: Well, and I'm, I'm honored. Oh well, I'm really glad that you agreed to come on. I've been actually reading your blog for a long time now. I don't read a, I don't follow very many blogs. In fact, I could put on one hand, there are less than five blogs that I actually follow, and yours is one of them. And I've been following you oh, for a wow. long time. So I'm so honored. And I, I feel like, um, I feel like your blog is this little gem that is kind of hidden. And I really want, so I would, I would like to spend the first part of our podcast, just talking about your blog so that people know what you write about and they can go find you and also, you know, subscribe and, and, and hear from you on a regular basis. So can you tell us how long, well, the name of your blog is Little Red Survivor, which I love. Why is it called Little Red Survivor? And what is your blog about?
1: So um, Little Red Survivor, I started looking up the story of Little Red Riding Hood. When I was little, I had a red coat. My mom called me Little Red. She didn't believe in telling fairy tales. This is the only fairy tale she told me. But when I was thinking about my pain from my childhood, I looked up Little Red Riding Hood on the internet and I read all the old stories of Little Red and I found one of the most ancient stories was a story of Little Red Riding Hood who saved herself. She didn't need the woodsman or Prince Charming to save her. But when she went to the house and she recognized the wolf, she decided to make a plan of escape. And the wolf, she asked the wolf if she could use the outhouse. And the wolf said, sure, as long as you keep a string tied onto your finger so, you know, he could keep track of her. So she went to the outhouse, untied the string, and tied it to the outhouse door and made her escape. And I love that story. It's an old German. It's one of the oldest renditions of that story. And I love it because Little Red saved herself. And I realized all of us who have been in abusive childhoods or abusive marriages, we can save ourselves. And so I chose to name my blog Little Red Survivor.
0: I love that. That is one of the things I try to teach women is that they have to be their own best advocate. I say that over and over and over again because it seems like, I feel, like, I know that at least for me, I was looking for years for someone to rescue me. I kind of took yeah. on that, well, I, I, can't, I can't really do anything for myself because I'm a woman, you know, and yeah. I have to be submissive and everything. So I need like a mommy or a daddy, like a pastor or somebody to come along and tell me what I can and can't do. And that yeah. kept me stuck. That's the traditional
1: background that we grew up in. Yes. Especially in the church.
0: Exactly. You Where
1: know, the only people who have communion are men in gray coats. And the rest <laughs> of us solemnly sit on the pews while they are up high, you know, and they're in the position of honor when actually the whole idea of communion was to serve each other. Wow. But the men are exalted. And so as women, we we are just taught to clean up afterwards or put the tablecloth on, you know? Right, <laughs> so right. We need them. It's almost like we're supposed to just do what directions they give us. And, um, you know, that's a sad
0: thing in fundamentalism and Christianity. It is. Okay, so your your blog, it, it when I found it, I mean, my situation, at least when I found your blog, I was thinking that I was just in a destructive marriage. I didn't realize at that time the extent of the dysfunction in my family of origin. And mm. your blog, your blog helped educate me. Um because c- you have a great marriage. I mean yeah. you, I mean, so your blog was more about narcissism in general and also narcissistic relationships maybe with your family members. Is that correct? I mean that's kind well, of the flavor husband, I get.
1: My husband and I both grew up with narcissistic families and we had a lot of brokenness to deal with. And in the first couple of years of our marriage, we almost practically killed each other. And we went to a state fair and we saw them writing on paper plates and tracing their hands. And they wrote, these hands will never be used for violence. And we realized we had thrown things at each other and hit hit each other before. And so we traced our hands and we made that pledge that our hands would never be used for violence. And that changed. That was a turning point probably in our very early marriage. We were newlyweds still basically when mm-hmm. we saw that. And that really woke us up to, wow, you know, we are children of violence. We came from families of violence. And and the truth is most people that grew up in a narcissistic home will often marry a narcissistic spouse because that was what love looked like. Right. So we don't know better until we learn better, like my Angelou said. <laughs>
0: Right. No, but you, neither one of you married, neither one of you was narcissistic. You just were no. survivors. But and- you know, I'm going to shop. Maybe you don't know the whole story because
1: my husband is um, bisexual and he felt like he could only marry a woman. So he married me. He loved me. I was his best friend. He thought I was cute, but he also was attracted to men. And that was a very hard thing in the early part of our marriage because the church is screaming at you, you know, the only way you're accepted is is if you're completely straight and in a straight marriage. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we always had that under the undercurrent. So that was the biggest, um, he felt like he couldn't be authentic. And he came out a couple of years ago. We chose, we're, we're still married after going on 30 years this year. And it's because we love each other, we're best friends, but we've decided not to judge anyone where they're at, whether they stay with someone or not, or, you know, many people will be like, whoa, that's terrible, it's a bad topic, and I hope I haven't just wrecked your podcast by mentioning that, (laughs) but we have to be honest with where people are coming from. Um, People remember from their childhood, they know nothing. But what they're attracted to, and we can't really control that for them. And I can't control it for my husband, I just let him be himself. But we have a monogamous, honest relationship for 30 years. You know, we've been each other's back, you know, right? And but we had to learn to, um, we had to learn to conflict resolution and to treat each other with respect always,
0: right? But there's in your marriage. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, in your marriage, though, there are two people that are working hard to make that happen. Yes, you don't. Ha- it's Absolutely. not a one-sided thing, and and that's Absolutely. what's important. So when you bring up things or when you give feedback to each other, the other one considers that, respects that. You know, gives you a place yes. where your voice is heard, where you are respected as an individual in your own right. Even the fact that you respect your husband and his. Yeah, um, you know where he's coming from. He's, he's still a human yeah. being with a right to have his own perspective on life, and you respect that and give him a pl- a safe yes. place to land.
1: Yeah, right. And so, I, the, I think we were neither one of us the narcissist in our family. We right. were the impact in our right. family. So
0: um, well, that that's beautiful. That was lucky
1: in that sense. <laughs> so right, but. So, But many people listening might say, well, what's wrong with me that I married a narcissist? You know, I should have known my dad was a narcissist or my mom was a narcissist. The bottom line is you can't always realize that when you're young and you get married. Right. Especially if you don't know what narcissism is to begin with. I didn't even know what narcissism was until a few years ago.
0: No. No, that's a lot of, all of that kind of information has just been exploding in recent years. Back when we were growing up, it's, and even, you know, even the young people today, I mean, I've got kids who are in in their twenties, they don't, you know, they're, oh, my kids are learning about it, I think because of their experience, but um, a lot of kids, they they still don't know. I really think it needs to be part of, you know, there needs to be a class that everyone goes through in high school or even junior high, you know, a class in junior high and high school that teaches- dysfunctional relationship issues and how to handle yourself, how to maintain your, who you are as a person in spite of the way that others might define you or treat you. That needs, that's a skill that everyone needs to learn. So we just kind of throw ourselves under the bus. The people who are, who grew up in families like that, who are empaths throw themselves under the bus and let people like narcissistic, you know, kinds of people, sort of run the show and they, you know, and they don't really know what to do about that, but there are skills that you can learn. Anyone can learn them. Even if you are a quieter, more passive person, you can still learn these skills and stand up for yourself.
1: Yeah. I would say the first one of that is just understanding your boundaries Henry Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud, you know, the author of the book, Boundaries, he says, boundaries are where you begin and I end. And if I don't know where I end and my husband begins, we can't have good boundaries. Right. We both have to know the beginning and the ending of me and what I'm capable of. And the, the issue with empaths is that we want to help everyone and serve everyone, and we feel for them before we feel our own feelings sometimes. So when a narcissist loves nothing more than to find and a target an empath, an empathetic person who they can use to do what they want. And so many of us who are empathetic have been used by narcissistic people.
0: Yes. And
1: that and I've heard that narcissists will choose an empath to marry. Right. Because then they can get heard bow to everything they say and, you know, do everything they want.
0: Yeah. It works for them. <laughs> so if and someone. Basically-
1: oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, that's basically what my website, um, I started it when I began my deconstruction and I first wrote a religious website trying to help people understand that the old Testament shouldn't be taken so literally. And then I learned about narcissism, but by that time, my family, my parents were barely speaking to me and I realized, um, someone invited me to join a Facebook group on narcissism for adult children and narcissistic parents. I didn't even join it right away. You know, I just ignored it a few times. And then I went, the night I went there was the night before my birthday. It was actually five years, the night before my 50th birthday. And I went there and I just, oh my goodness, these people were telling the same stories that I had in my stories. Yeah. We had so much in common. It looked like somebody had taken a script and all of our parents were copying off the same script. (laughs) Yeah. next day when it was my birthday, I got up, I was going on a trip with my husband. The sky was so beautiful at dawn. And I was drinking my coffee and I was just like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm free because I know that this is about me anymore.
0: Mm, yes. And that's
1: why I started writing my website about narcissism because I realized other people could be free too.
0: Yes. So if someone was going to go over to your blog for the first time, where would you tell them to start? And we'll put these links in the show notes as well, but where, where, where should they start?
1: Well, it's pretty easy for them to find anything on a topic that they want because of the format that I have my blog in. My blog is listed so that if you're looking up a topic, you can do a search, and you just do a search for flying monkeys, narcissist, um, memoir, um, dysfunctional families. Relig- I call it religious narcia. It's narcissism dressed in religious, snarky religious clothes. And there, you know the church is full of it, don't you? Yeah, Many people that. have suffered under that. And, and another topic I have is equality because I believe that women and men are equal. And you know, but people can and another one there they at the top of my blog there's all these topics. So you don't have to do a search. You can just click on forgive and everything that has forgiveness will be there. And mm-hmm. that forgiveness will explain to you that it's not just about forgiving and forgetting, like the narcissist will tell you, but it's actually about what it means to truly forgive in God's way. And, you know, all of those topics that they click on will bring up all the blogs that are on that topic.
0: Okay. So what would be, what is, do you know what your most shared or most beloved blog post of all time has yes. ever been? What is it?
1: <laughs> yeah. My most famous blog post is, um, how to let, um, let me just think. I'm trying to remember which one it is. It's, um, cause there's a whole bunch of topics. I mean, a whole bunch with that name. Um, a flying monkey by any other name is still a freaking flying monkey or three ways to disable flying monkeys. People really are struggling with the people that come after them. You know, the, the narcissist sends to take them down. Yes. And another one is um, word salad. Um, people are really um, care about that. I don't know why, but that one just triggered a lot of people <laughs> and they just keep, these have been sold, shared thousands and thousands of narcissistic word salad. It's yes. been shared like Thousands of times, Ali Shahida. I, I can't remember her name, how you say her name. Oh, but
0: yes, I love her.
1: He picked it up and put it in an article of hers, and it's gone around the world um, over and over and over and over, I think. And I mean, I, I'm often I'll say your stats are up, and, and it's that narcissistic word salad thing. People just like that one. But yes. I would say the flying monkeys are the one that most people will come to and narcissistic abuse because a lot of people realize what a narcissist is and they realize this person was abusive to me, but they don't know what to do with the flying monkeys who come behind. Right. You know, and it feels like, and I think it's like a, the wound first comes from the narcissist and all the belittling things they say. I listened to your podcast the other day of the women who wrote that poem about um, pain. Oh, Oh my goodness. That ripped my heart out. I could just, I just bawled listening to it yeah. because I know what that feels like. And um, not from my husband, but through my parents, you know. Yeah. And um, you keep thinking you're crazy all the time. Well, then when all the flying monkeys come after you, which we, that name comes from the Wizard of Oz and the witch sending out the flying monkeys, mm-hmm. um, basically, that's your often the siblings or the people that support the narcissist. Well, that's reinforcements for the narcissist. And their cutting remarks are sometimes more damaging. Than what the narcissist did, because you knew the narcissist was a jerk. Right. But then you didn't expect your sister would be. Right. Not your favorite sister. Right. The one that you love with all your heart, and you just sent her a birthday present, and she just trashed you.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, and the narcissist will use, they'll say, I know mine said, well, you know, Natalie, she's got problems with her mother, problems with her sister and relationship problems with her daughter. I have a daughter that's got emerging borderline personality disorder and you know, I've got nine kids, but one of them has this issue and yeah, I have problems with her, but so does everyone else. And she's also had problems with her past, her former pastor who, who Abused me in many different ways. So yeah. anyway, it was all it was like. Well, she's got all these problems. What's the common denominator, Natalie? So and that really <laughs> yes. that makes you feel like, oh my gosh, maybe wow, i yeah. have the problem, and you've been told that your whole life that you're the problem. So yeah, it's very yeah, it's so let's unpack, traumatizing.
1: Let's, let's unpack what happened there. Because I'm a person that's been um, told since I was a little kid, if everyone else has a problem with you, then you must be the problem. Yes, yes. The reality is, if there's a narcissist who's going along talking about you to everyone, or maybe when you came against abuse, you stood up for it, the bottom line is there's a saying, I can't remember the person who said it, but well-behaved women don't make history. And Mm -hmm. um, this is because well-behaved women stood up well-behaved women don't make history because they just bend whatever people want them to say. But if you want to be a woman who makes history, you're going to have to fight the the lies. You're going to have to stand up for truth. And when you do that, there's always going to be opposition and resistance. There's just no way that you're not going to have resistance if you stood up for the truth. And sometimes the first truth we had to stand up for was ourselves in our family of origin, um, ourselves in our marriage, or ourselves with our pastor. I've had some crazy, abusive pastors myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I've seen horrible things happen, you know, not necessarily to me. I've just been an eyewitness and um, you know, I've stood up to tell the truth because I I once walked in on a pastor who was having sex with a girl in his office and she just came to the church to learn about God. She was 20 and he was in his fifties. And because I told the truth, the conference president said, well, it'll probably be your word against his. I'm like, well, you know, what's the difference between my word against his? I mean, I actually saw him with his pants off you know that's know. creepy that's yeah. not how you want to see your pastor and why would they leave this man? They him? They being the pastor in this church for another nine months honestly it's bizarre and there's only the truth is stranger than fiction and when we tell the truth people fight us but you know i know that i know that i was right and it wasn't my fault that i walked in on it it was an accident but you know, and then he had the nerve to s- give me, he had to give me a ride home. It was so awful because I got a ride with the pastor and then they both gave me a ride home. And then he said, Well, if you want to help us again, let us know. And I waited till I was out of the car and then I
0: slammed that door and I go, I don't think so. <laughs> Unbelievable. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that. That is so absolutely
1: bizarre.
0: He was a he was sociopathic pathological he was. liar. he was the the level of yeah. denial there is just um in, insane well so
1: then want- when people say that we're liars they're the usually they're reflecting the narcissist so we can't care we just right. cannot care what flying monkeys say that's right
0: okay i want to shift gears a little bit because i i want to talk about your book so sure. you have a new book out have you ever written a book for is this your very first book um, the only, I helped edit a book called um, um, The Servant
1: God, which was published by um, a large university press. And I was just an editor and I wrote two chapters in it. So I'm listed as an author on that, but it wasn't really my baby. That project I just joined. Okay. And then um, I put out my grandparents' love letters, which we found a hundred years later. And oh. they told their whole story, of their romance. And so it's Love Letters, 199." So I published that five years ago. But that wasn't really my writing. This is the first time I've written my own book that's about okay. me and my story.
0: Okay, it's very. I've been. I'm about halfway through it. It's very well written. I I love it. Um, it reminds me of Tara Westover's memoir Educated, which I read last year. It was the my book, my personal favorite book of last year that I read. And I read a lot of books. And that was I, mine too. <laughs> i um I can relate to a lot of what you talk about in your book as well I mean not a lot of, not all of it it's different in some ways, but one of the things that's intrigued me about your book it well there's two things one is that it's you are you s- expose in a beautiful way actually the subtleties of narcissistic abuse. it's not always you know. The raging and the beating—I mean, you, there was some of that in your story, but there's also a lot of subtle things, and you've kind of woven them in there in a very gracious way. And then the second thing kind of goes along with that—that that it is very actually gracious toward your family, even though they've done these things. I actually I can you are you beautifully show that these are people with um, depth of you know they have care they are they have character flaws. They're real human beings. So there's like a good side to them and yeah. there's a lot of good things that they did and brought into your life. And then there's this dark side for whatever reason and, they're, and those yeah. kinds of things they just weren't able to get a hold of and that ha- spilled over onto how they treated you. So why yes, don't you tell you. us about that a little bit? Yeah.
1: I'm so honored that you're getting that. That's what I want people to hear because, you know, I love my mother and my father. They're still alive. They're in their 80s. I have no desire to hurt them. But at the same time, this is a story that we lived 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to tell the truth because I needed to live an authentic life to be myself and own my story. And yet at the same time, my goal isn't to damage them. You know, narcissistic people look at everything as black and white and and they see people, they like to turn people into villains. They scapegoat one person. Right now, I'm the scapegoat in the family. A few years ago, it was my brother who was a scapegoat because he became an atheist. And whoever is the person they're against at the time becomes a scapegoat. And when someone becomes a scapegoat, they can't see any good about them. Well, I'm not a narcissist. I don't want them to look scapegoated. I I realize there's a nuance of all kinds of things in our lives. All of us have good and bad traits. None of us are perfect and none of us are total demonic, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to show the truth of who my parents were, who they were as I was a child, and also the journey that they went on. Events in their lives formed them to become the people that they became, just as the events in my life formed me. And we all get to choose how we allow these events to form us if we want to embrace truth or we want to keep hiding. I've chosen to embrace truth. I believe probably a little more than they have. And, um, but at the same time I wanted to tell the story. I heard a teenager that was abused say the love, you know, when your parents, it's hard. If you have a really mean, nasty stepmother, well then, then she never does anything nice for you. Well then it's easy to villainize see her as a villain, but If she loved, if you have a loving parent who also abuses you, that's really hard to figure out as a child. And that's how it was for me. I had a covert mother and I had a, um, more malignant father in, in the way their narcissism played out. And I once asked my husband, I kept saying for years, well, which of my parents is a narcissist? And he said, they're like two death stars spiraling around each other, Sherry, you know, um, (laughs) It's like they both have their own game they play in the gaslighting to get together. They are like powerful again, you know, mm. when you're trying to figure out the truth, yeah. but the love was still there when I was younger. And, and I think the love is still there sometimes. Um, I just think that they're damaged and they don't know even really how to express love. So my choice was to just try to tell it like it was and give them grace and I hope I can do, I hope I'm able to do that. I want honor and honesty because, you know, the root word for honor is honesty. And I can't honor them unless I can be honest. And at the same time, that honesty, that honesty in also includes the good things they did. Right. And I heard a teenager say it's like mixed vegetables where you like the corn but you don't want the lima beans. <laughs> then that's what it's like growing up with a parent that's abusive and loves you at the same time.
0: Oh, I love that. That's you a great the picture. love from them.
1: You glean the love from them and then you hide when you know that it's they're not in a good mood.
0: Yep. We forgot to say what the name of your book is. You oh, Chasing
1: us? Eden, a memoir.
0: Yes. Chasing Eden, which I love the name. That reminds me of Sarah Beryl's song, Eden. Have you ever heard Sarah Beryl's? Are you familiar with her?
1: Yeah. um, And I had this, this name, Chasing Eden, all my life practically because my dad has been always trying to build, he'd said, let's build our own garden of Eden and live off of the land,
0: Mm, you know, and wait for Jesus
1: to come. So we were always trying to live in this utopia Where um, And many Christians have done this, prepper families, fundamentalist prepper families. You find this in a lot of fundamentalist Christian groups. They're waiting for Jesus to come. Some stockpile weapons. We didn't stockpile weapons, but the mindset was we need to grow our own food and put up all the can, all this food, and dry all this food. And that way, when we have to run from the time of trouble, we'll have all this extra food. And like Tara Westover said in her book, Educated, she was like, Nobody ever really explained what you're gonna do with all this stuff, but <laughs> they have lots of peaches, you know. And, right. Yeah, right. My family was more chaotic because my dad could never stay in one place. At least Tara's family stayed in one place. But
0: you <laughs> Yeah, know, how you we, transport all that stuff everywhere you go. We
1: did a few times and then other times we just gave up. We didn't even have stuff, you know. But then that also was leading to the despair because, oh, no, we're not ready. You know, we don't have a place of our own to grow all this stuff, you know. So this chasing Eden, it, it's, it became a burden.
0: Right. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, there there's so many, I, I can relate to some of that too. Well, a lot of us, I think, a lot of Christians even use the whole Y2K thing as a, you know that was going to be Jesus was going to come right around Y2K the whole world was going to fall apart and and I, yeah. I i'm kind of embarrassed to say that i f- i fell into that and i mean but i was very steeped in fundamental yeah. christianity i was raised in a very uh somewhat similar family my family was not off the they were not off they were not as unstable i guess <laughs> as as i would yeah. describe your family but um but there was still the idea that Jesus was going to come back before you grew up. You know, my mom, would, my mom no. told us that, or my mom's best friend told all of us that Jesus was going to, we had, there was this uh, uh, mall going up in our town and uh, shopping mall. And she said, Jesus is going to come back before that mall gets built. Well, that mall not only got built, but now it's actually, <laughs> it's actually closing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably gonna be torn down. So
1: and just yeah. so. that happened to us too in Walla Walla in the mall that was the brand new mall has goats living on the land now. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Weeds growing up everywhere and goats running around. It's hilarious. Yeah. So anyway. So much for Jesus telling, right? Exactly. And it's not that we wouldn't welcome Jesus coming back, it's just that you can't live no. your life like that. No. And, and and also just the and we, idea we, that that, we, that Christians are, you know, that there's this small group of Christians that are going to escape and then God is going to burn everybody else forever and ever in all eternity. It just, um, yeah, I don't know. What it's a very cool, frightening concept. What a cool dream. Yeah. And,
1: um, and it takes away the understanding of God being like Jesus.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Just, in fact, that, that point, to that point, I will say that I, one of the healing, most healing things that I did, and I've read through the Bible every year since I was a kid, but a couple of years ago, I just focused on the gospel of John because I just wanted to get to know Jesus just, and I thought, you know, I have to just throw everything else out right now at this point in my life and just find out who was Jesus. How did he live his life? And if I want to be a follower of him, what would that actually look like? and i read that book over and over again about 20 times and just really it was so healing it was it was wow. just extremely healing and i and everything i think that's my favorite book of the bible yeah i love that book it just it it made it cleared so many things up for me and then so then i yeah. had to figure out okay now what do i do with the old testament and i i was just telling Sherilyn, before we started doing this podcast, and so I'll put in a plug for a, a different podcast called Almost Heretical. So if you are listening to this podcast right now and you're hearing some things that you think, oh my word, that's almost heretical. you sh- and, and if you like <laughs> that, you should head over to Almost Heretical Podcast. It is, um, and start at the beginning. So don't start, I think they have like over 70 episodes, but start at the very beginning because they lay this foundation for the Old Testament. And it's extraordinarily fascinating. And so anyway, I'll just do that quick plug. And by the way, I... That
1: sounds awesome. I'm going to listen to it. Yeah,
0: I know. Well, I've been binge listening this last week. I can't stop. But... I've been going to sleep to it and everything. But I just want to say yeah. that I is for anyone who's listening and wondering, is this a Christian podcast? If this is your first time here, um, if you listen to my other podcasts, you will realize that yes, this is a Christian podcast. Yeah. I am a, a lover yes. of Jesus Christ and I bow to Jesus Christ alone. And so does Sherilyn. And yes. we are yes. all about spreading being the hands and feet of Christ in this world and what does that look like and how do we spread the good news of Jesus and spread his love in this world and how do we yes. and and th- that does not look like oppressing other people groups whether it's other women or other or any kind of people group because Jesus yeah. was not about oppressing people and i was excommunicated from John Piper's church and to me that's oppression <laughs> That is. <laughs> You You, you have a badge of honor, my dear. I know. And I wear, I wear like a badge of honor too. I actually love it that they excommunicated me. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yes. And I think it was God just rescuing me and also revealing the, the reality of what was actually going on over there. If I had just left and they, and I left two years before they excommunicated me actually. So And then they chased me to the next church that I was going to and had talks with the elders there and tried to get them to get rid of me, even though I wasn't a member and will never become a member of another church again. But anyway, so that's my story though. And I want to get back to yours. Um, Yeah. i was just going to say, this
1: is the controlling of the patriarchy and John Piper and, and, um, they started the Danvers statement back in the eighties. The Danvers statement was to, to work against equality for women. It was to say, oh no, we believe in, we believe in compatibility. What do they call that? Not compliance, but, but it might as well be compliance because they say women are equal, but different. Right. And and that means that women are equal, but they should bow down and do what we ask them because we're the men in charge. Right. And then they started the national statement a couple of years ago. That group has done more to oppress people in Christian churches than probably any other group because of their false teachings and they don't they do not embrace equality of Jesus the father and the son and the holy that's the father right. and the son and the holy spirit they all serve each other they're all one god serving in unity serving each other and that's how we should be
0: that's right um it's it, 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 very false
1: doctrine john piper yes. has
0: it reminds me of the book animal farm where they said yeah. all animals are equal but some animals are more equal than others It just, that just doesn't, just doesn't work that way. And what happened in that animal farm, if if anyone's listening and has never read it, read it, what happens in that book is, you know, the, the animals that are more equal than the other ones take power and oppress the other ones. And that's exactly what's happening in the church through this kind of theology. But, um, okay. So one, you said something before we got on the podcast, Sherilyn, that I wanted you to share and it was the verse that talks about how we're going to overcome the world and how people, when they, sh- cause you're, you're, you shared, it took you seven years to write this memoir, which I find fascinating. Um, and also for the, I talked to a lot of women who say, I want to write my memoir. I thought of that myself, but it, most of us don't really know, like I, I told you before, I don't really know how to write my memoir and do, and will anyone even believe it? I know my family will say that's not true. Um, but you brought up a Bible verse that talks about how we're going to overcome the world and you kind of tied it into writing your own story. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think I learned this from Dan Allender. Um, he, I was listening to one of his podcasts and he was talking about how Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, you know, and all of these people in this family had great dysfunctional stories, which were told in the Bible. And if we did not have their dysfunctional stories, we wouldn't have the Bible as we know it hmm. and how they overcome. They each overcame. And then he talked about in Revelation twelve eleven. it says they triumphed over him. And they're talking about the dragon or the evil in the world. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. And, you know, the blood is the life. It says in Leviticus, the blood is the life, the life of Jesus, you know, and by the word of their testimony. And that's the part that I highlighted in yellow, big letters and around it in my Bible. They, we triumph by the word of our stories, by telling our story and owning our story honestly. That's how we triumph over evil in this world. I love that. And that, that gave me new confidence that, yes, God was calling me to write my story and it's not just me on some ego trip to write this book, but right. this is actually ordained by God to tell my story. And so, it's just as true for you and everyone else who wants to write a story.
0: You, you, were, you were talking about a memoir that you read many years ago that kind of inspired you along these lines and also yeah. kind of inspired you about how the flavor of your memoir, how you wanted it to yes. be. Can you talk about that? That,
1: that was the Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls and it's a, it's to me the queen of all memoirs in the modern genre as far as I'm concerned. although Tara, Tara Westover's book Educated is pretty close. and um, I believe that Jeanette Walls inspired me. Someone heard my story, and told me to read her book and I read her book and I just like cried and cried because I realized she wrote with love for her parents and still showed the abuse. And she didn't write with hate. It wasn't a rant. You know, sometimes people who have been through narcissistic abuse, they're not sure what to do with it. So they just say, oh, I wrote a story and they self-publish it. And it's a rant. Like I've read a whole bunch of memoirs in the last few years, you know, like you said you have. And you probably know those kind of memoirs. You're reading them and they're the mommy dearest memoir. And it's just like blah, blah, blah. And this happened and she was so evil and so mean and blah, blah, blah. And it's like you're exhausted by the end of looking at it, you know. I didn't want to write a story like that. I wanted to tell a real story that shows good and bad and happiness and beauty along the way too. Mm -hmm. And Jeanette Walls did that. She patterned that for me. And after her book came out, there was an interview on Facebook and it said, you could ask Jeanette a question. And I asked her, I said, what would be your advice to me who wants to write my own memoir now that I'm inspired by you? And she said, I will give you my mother's words. Tell the truth. And my mother would not tell me to tell the truth. My mother was the one who orchestrated all the lies in our family. She was really an architect of lies. She comes up with all kinds of stuff, spends hours trying to figure out the best way to convince someone something. And when Jeanette Walls, whose mother um, just plain let her, she said, tell the truth, even though it would make her look bad. I thought, wow, I'm going to take that. I'm going to tell the truth. And thank you, Jeanette Walls. Thank you to muriel walls her mother you know for letting her daughter be free to tell her story right and i believe that god is a mother and a father and god says to us tell the truth because jesus jesus says i am the truth you know people say well do you know the truth and then they talk about their doctrine like it's the truth i was raised in a church that said we have the truth and they always talked about their doctrines but jesus said i am the truth and when jesus is the truth Jesus stands on the side of the truth and he stands on the side of the truth tellers. So I'm yes. no longer afraid to tell the truth. I have yes. Jesus has my back. I love and he has that. your back too. You're out yes. there listening and you want to write a memoir and you're afraid. Um, just ask Jesus to show you how to do it because he has your back.
0: Right. And I love how you, the truth is not just all bad and it's not just all good. There's going to be a mixture yeah. in all of our stories of beautiful things and not so beautiful things and the truth is going to t- be honest and real about all of those yeah. things. Yeah. So we live um, in a world
1: full of good and evil.
0: Right. And it's all around us.
1: We get to pick what we focus on, but you know, our stories are a mixture of good and evil.
0: Is there we're going to wrap up here? Is there anything else that you'd that you were, was burning on your heart that you wanted to say in this podcast that I may be left out or, or do you feel like this is a good place to end?
1: I think I would just like to leave hope for anyone out there who is struggling um, if with their family, because the pain is so intense when you're rejected by your family. I know that. And I'm not, I don't live in sadness. I don't wake up and cry every day. But there was a time when I did, and it's because when I realized that I cannot change narcissistic people, it's impossible to change them, I had to release them and let them go and let God take care of them. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the chips will fall, where they may, about my memoir or anything else I do in my life because I'm not living my life through the lens of what a narcissist expects from me anymore because that, that was a, they asked me to play a game I could never win. Right. When I realized that that narcissist is never going to change, I was able to let go. Yes. And that's where the freedom comes. The freedom I mean, comes with letting go.
0: Yep. I can I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate to that. It takes, and, you, and to let go, you have to see that truth first. That you have to accept it because it's hard to accept that, the truth, you know. But yeah, once you see that, then letting go. So right. important. Thank you for that. And thank you so it's, much it's for really joining painful. us. Um, for, the, for those of you who are listening- <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I just want to say I was honored. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. For those of you who are listening, if these are, if you are a person of faith and the subjects that we're talking about here are important to you, please feel free to share and also go over to i iTunes podcasts and find the Flying Free podcast and leave a rating and a review. This is what helps other people to find this podcast. And um, I think we're done. So until next time, fly free.